Good morning, everyone. I'd like to call to order the Marin County Board of Supervisors meeting for Tuesday, October 24th, 2023. I'm going to ask our county clerk to take the roll and talk about remote participation. Supervisor Wright. Here. 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 Icon located on your screen. If you are participating by landline, please press star nine to raise your hand. When it is your turn to speak, your name will be called and you will be asked to unmute your device. If you are participating by landline, you will hear that you are unmuted. That concludes the instructions and I will pass the meeting back to President Moulton Peters. Thank you. I'm gonna take a moment to um, remind everybody about civil discourse in the chambers. The Marin County Board of Supervisors encourages a respectful dialogue that supports freedom of speech and values diversity of opinion. The board, staff, and members of the public are expected to be civil and courteous to refrain from questioning the character or motives of others participating in the meeting. The county requests that speakers not use threatening, profane, or abusive language which disrupts, disturbs, or otherwise impedes the orderly conduct of the board meeting. Members of the public may comment on any item on the agenda during the board consideration of the item. Uh, the board president will invite public comment following the staff presentation and prior to the board deliberations. And, so, and I want to um, clarify something that I've been a little over the all over the map on, but I'm gonna call for public comment in the chambers one time, then we're gonna move to public comment online, and then we're closing public comment. So I'll repeat that again. Uh, at public expression, but I wanted to make that clear. So at this point, uh, we have a uh, report from the County Administrator's Office on the 2023-24 Cycle One Community Services Fund Program applications. Good morning, Matthew and Sandy. Good morning, Supervisors, and we'll just provide a high-level overview, and then, of course, we're here to answer any specific questions you would have. Uh, just to start off, I wanted to clarify, this is an informational workshop, won't be making no decisions uh, this morning. We'll be returning after taking public comment and getting your uh, board feedback with recommendations on the 7th of November. Um, so as your board knows, the purpose of the community service pro grant program is to provide small allocations to various community services during the year. We have two cycles, this is the first of our uh, two cycles. Uh, we've received a total of 71 funding requests for a total of $600,000. Um, we are, our, our goal is to allocate 250,000 in the first cycle. As your board may recall, that's $100,000 more than typical because we're using our COVID relief funds to uh, augment that. Um, as has been the case in the past, there, there may be other sources of funding um, available, such as the safe and sober grad night allocation for high school graduations or disaster preparedness. Uh, for the purposes of today, if you could just let me know what you support and then we'll do the research on the appropriate funding source. Um, we do have uh, an alpha list and a number uh, list. Um, and we would ask that when uh, groups speak in public comment, if they could say what project number they're speaking to to help the board find it in their binder. Um, so I think that's the overview. Unless you have any specific questions, I look forward to the public comments. I will say that we also posted public comments on the website that we received over the last week as well for 
your information and the public's. And Matthew, could you just outline so the process we're going to go through today is what? So typically our process would be we would hear from the public and then we would go to your board and get feedback on what you support and generally speaking we would ask uh, that your board speak to about $60,000 worth of support um, because among this, the five of you that would be $300,000 for us to consider and sometimes there's overlap. Uh, by your board supporting it, it doesn't guarantee there's an allocation, but it does provide us information that we use to then make our recommendations. Great. Okay. Public comment first in the chambers and then online and then uh, board deliberation. Great. Thank you. Okay. If you're here in the chambers this morning to speak on an item, please go ahead and line up and give your name. You have two minutes, please. Good morning. Hi, we're here to speak to Project 57. My name is Colette Treewater. I'm a senior at Terralinda High School. Hi, um, my name is Jane Adams. I'm a senior at Archie Williams. Hi, I'm Greta Carnoto, and I'm also a senior at Archie Williams. And we're here to speak today for All One Ocean. So All One Ocean's mission is clear and compelling, to educate our communities about the destructive impact of litter on our oceans and waterways, and to provide ways to reduce our impact on our ocean ecosystems. One of All One Ocean's made programs is Ocean Warriors, designed for K-8 students and facilitated in partnership with public schools. This program goes beyond traditional environmental education. It instills a sense of responsibility, stewardship, and a love for our natural world. It also provides opportunities for high schoolers such as myself in the form of internships for those interested in pursuing environmental action in the future. My dad is an elementary school teacher at Glenwood Elementary School where Ocean Warriors first was established. I saw their impacts firsthand through him and my sister, who was able to experience the program as a student. All One Oceans doesn't just educate. They empower young minds to take action and instill a sense of responsibility in our youth, helping them understand they have the power to make a difference. With the support of this program, our children are not just learning, they're becoming environmental students. The request for you today is for $10,000 to expand the Ocean Warrior program to five Marin elementary schools allocating $2,000 per school. This funding would make it possible for schools that might otherwise lack the resources to provide environmental education to their students. I urge you to consider the impacts of your decision today. By funding the Ocean Warrior Program, you're not just providing educational opportunities. You're nurturing a generation of environmental leaders. Thank you for your time and consideration. Thank you. Okay, next please. Good morning and thank you for your time. I'm here to speak to, uh, my name is Leela Pratt, I'm here to speak to uh, the grant for Young Performers International, it's number two. We're seeking uh, funding for a director of development uh, as we, I, I founded it 23 years ago and I'm pushing 80 now and I need a little help because I've been uh, acting as the <laughs> fundraising person and uh, we, we'd love to see this continue. It just started as a small project but then it became bigger and bigger and we hired, I've got a staff of eight young men and women working for me now that are uh, local rock stars. Who we serve is low income, disadvantaged youth, um, neurodifferent kids, uh, which is a very important part of the work we do. Uh, the kids that we have that 
teach the program are really inspiring, and it's been proven uh, by Harvard University that kids who study music in the early years do better, go to college, don't get into trouble in the teen years, uh, and they're better at group interactions. Uh, we have seen over the years that this has really made a difference in the community. It's brought the community together because uh, we have kids who come in on tuition, and then we use, uh, we, we use funds that we raise to bring low-income and neurodivergent and gender-different kids in. So it's a real community uh, that comes together. We have a lot of community support. Um, the Bananas at Large here gives us secondhand instruments uh, to give for free to the low-income students. Uh, City Carpets gives us advertising. We have tremendous amount of support but the one thing we have never quite <laughs> been able to get to is to be able to hire to somebody to secure us an ongoing funding cycle. And that's my time. So that's what we need. And, and we, have, we have funds for, for, we're asking for partial funds, but we have promised funds for the rest of it. So if you can give it to us, we'll know we'll be able to do it. Thank you. Anyone else in the chambers? Ah, yes, Ms. McCauley. Good morning. I'm, my name is Claire McAuliffe, and I'm here to speak to you on items 46. I'm also going to sneak in. Great. Claire, would you, <coughs> will you pull the microphone down so we Sorry, can Sorry, 68 you? and 46. <coughs> so first, for the Burn um, Environmental Housing Cooperative, um, this is a group that is um, actively working to educate uh, the people of Marin County on the importance of housing. And I know all of you know uh, all about that, face, face this issue every day. So what this group is doing is reaching out to elected officials, communities, and so forth, and sharing information and, I think more importantly, data on the benefits <coughs> to people of all income levels to building more housing. And uh, there's a lot of information. I'd be happy to share it with you. Uh, academic studies, people think that if you build low-income housing, everybody's housing values are going to go down. That is not the case. So this is the work that uh, the Marin Environmental Housing um, Cooperative is doing, and so we're seeking funding for um, a more professional uh, investment in that marketing campaign. So that's basically what it is, um, the concept of affordable housing in Marin and communicating more directly and professionally with the entire community. So the other um, matter I'm speaking about, I hadn't planned to, but I see, <laughs> I see that the Redwoods has asked for some money. And as an eight-year veteran of that board, I'm going to stand up and say, give them whatever you can. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Much. Thank you. All right. We're going to close the comments in the chambers now and go online. The first speaker is Patrick McNicholas. Please unmute. Yes, can you hear me? We can hear you. Go ahead, sir. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to comment on the uh, the presentation that's going to be given today regarding sea level rise by the San Francisco Bay Conservation oh, Development sir, Commission. Sir, could you hold these? We're on the community uh, grants right now. Could you? Th this will be a little later this morning. Or if you can't join us, we'll have public comment in about mm, 40 minutes. Thank you. The next speaker is Dave Court. Please unmute. 
Okay, test, test, test. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Go ahead, sir. Um, good morning, supervisors. Um, I'm sorry I can't be there in person. Um, I um, had an incredible couple weeks where I was honored on October 7th at the community center, and I went to visit my mom in Ohio, and I came back and got COVID, so I'm sorry I can't be there. And um, I also um, want to thank you so much for your uh, honoring of me at your meeting last week. And um, I uh, also was in flight, so I was unable to attend. But thank you, uh, Morgan brought me the proclamation. Uh, I want to quickly comment on number 50 and number 55. Um, uh, number 50 is a um, proposal from the San Geronimo Valley Community Center for a Latino Arts Festival. And that was really a um, major event for us pre-COVID that really brought leadership of our Westman Latino com community together to put on a festival for um, the rest of our community. So we're really hoping to bring that back. So that's what that request is about. And then the Second proposal um, that I'm representing is number 55 from the Bolinas Museum. Um, you know, in my semi-retirement uh, as executive director and moving into my new role as community ambassador, one of the areas I'm really excited about is um, West Marin history. And um, right now we have five historical societies in West Marin and I've been talking to all five of them, and we're really excited to bring those five historical societies together in a collaboration. And I've been talking to Dewey Livingston and Elaine Doss, you know, some of the longtime people. So this is really about, um, you know, just long-term sustainability of our West Marin historical societies. And, Thank you, uh, Dave. We're in uh, time. That's it. Thank you. Appreciate okay. it. Thank you. The next speaker is Eva. Please unmute. Eva, please unmute. Thanks. Can you hear me okay? We can hear you. Go ahead. Thanks. Um, I have questions about uh, two of the items. Number five is Multicultural Center of Marin. They're asking for $10,000 for a project. In January, they received, if I'm correct, uh, $262,000 in funding from uh, the county's probation department to uh, enact, among other things, drug testing, which seems to imply that there's a creeping policification of um, nonprofits. I'm not really sure that they should get additional money um, from the county until they can explain how drug testing uh, fits into their overall mission. Um, and the other item, uh, is the Soma Aquatics item. Uh, that's another nonprofit that's very opaque. Uh, it seemed clear to me in 2017, when I first started digging into the county records, that Soma had been uh, one of several nonprofits that was privatizing use of the swimming pool at Tam High. They were very uh, closed to answering any questions about that. And the reason that was a problem is that it was the privatization of that public pool, um, the free time use of it uh, during the summer, 
and on weekends um, by Soma Aquatics and uh, principally by the Strawberry Seals that restricted access to uh, working class children, especially children from Rin City who had always had access uh, to that pool uh, for open swim during the summer. And that was a, you know, it was a, it was a great activity. I, I participated in it. It didn't cost what Soma Aquatics was, was charging in 2017, which was $295 for a four day summer swim camp that was only half a day. So that means that- Thank you, um, we're at time. Question all the beaters, there are no additional speakers in the room. Thank you, we're gonna close public comment now and bring it back to the board. Uh, President Rodoni, could you kick off? Yeah, I'd be happy to, thank you all. And thanks to all the applicants. Um, just wanted to mention item 41, Community Action Marin, is a low income emergency preparedness item. And I'd like for staff in the CAO's office to see if that could be funded through one of our emergency grant programs. Thank you. Um, so my picks are number nine, the Ocean Conservation Research Inc. for $3,500. Marin interviews, or Marin interviews, $3,500, number 21. Number 41, front porch communities, $5,000. Number 33, Marin American Indian Alliance, $2,500. Number 45, Beyond Differences, $5,000. Number 47, Feed to People, Valinas Community Center, $6,000. Number 50, San Geronimo Community Center Latino Art Festival, $6,000. Number 55, Bellinas Museum, $5,000. Number 57, All One Ocean, $3,500. Number 62, the Audubon Canyon Ranch Trail Program, $7,500. Number 75, Environmental Action of West Marin, $5,000. Number 66, uh, Enriching Life Through Music, $5,000. And number 49, Justice and Diversity Center, $2,500. Thank you. Okay, Sandy, did you get all that? Okay. Mary, are you with me? Yeah. Um, thank you so much. So um, starting with number 67, Legal Aid of Marin, um, I'd like $7,500, but also continue to work on that issue systemically um, for fast track relief. Um, number 22, Next Generation Scholars, $5,000. Number 28, um, Planned Parenthood, um, building health equity at $5,000. Number 33, um, the American Indian Alliance second annual powwow, $5,000. Um, number 41, which is the prepared and resilient communities from Community Action Marin. I agree with Supervisor Rodoni if we can find other funds, but otherwise I did put an allocation there of $2,500. Um, 68, Marin Environmental Housing Collaborative for 5,000. Um, number 31, Front Porch Communities Expanding the Home Match in San Rafael for 5,000. 
number 35, Marin Aquatic Masters Adult Learn to Swim program, 5,000. Number 16, side-by-side -side, transitional age youth, basic human needs for 4,000. 39, resilient neighborhoods, 2,000. Um, number six, make it home for $3,500. Um, all One Ocean, number 57, um, $2,500. Number 19, Marin History Museum, um, they requested $2,915, and I'm hoping we can support that full allocation. Number 34, um, Concert on the Corner for 2000 60, Green Change for 2000 51, Marin Foster Care Association, um, Therapy Services, $1,500. And then number five, um, the Multicultural Center of Marin. I'm just hoping we can look into this one a little bit further. It was for staff funding and, and it seems like it could come through the probation department. So if we could just spend a bit more time looking at that, um, that would be great. Thank you. Supervisor Lucan. Thank you. Um, we'll just go through the list. Uh, number six, 2,500. So that's make it home. Uh, number 30, North Marine Community Services, 10,000. Uh, number 38, Rise Scholars, 10,000. Number 41, Community Action Marin, 2,000. Number 51, Marin Foster Care Association, 1,500. Uh, number 53, Spar Center, 2,500. Number 59, Penguin Empire Robotics, 7,500. Oh, I skipped one. Uh, number 57, um, All One Ocean, 2000. Number 61, Hamilton School, 5000. Number 68, Marin Environmental Housing Collaborative, 2000. Number 69, Surviving the Odds Project, 5000. And number 71, Sustainable Marin Schools, um, it's $9,928. Odd number, but that was the full amount they were requesting. Thank you. All right. Um, and my thanks also, Sandy, t for your work, not just today, but in collecting all these and working with the various applicants and then actually executing on the grants over the course of the years. Uh, and then to all the applicants, lots of really um, great work happening out in our community. And I am supportive of all the requests that have been made so far. Um, and then I will add these as well. Uh, number two, Young Performers International, 2,500. Make It Home, 2,500. Um, that's number five or six. Number seven, Marin Casa, 7,500. Number eight, Ambassadors of Hope and Opportunity, 5,000. Number 16, Side by Side, 4,000. Number 28, uh, Planned Parenthood, um, 10,000. 
Number 31, Front Porch Communities Foundation. Oh, excuse me, skip that one, that was Dennis. Um, number 36, American Legion Post 179-1500. Number 37, Children for Change, 5,000. Number 52, Rise Scholars, um, this is the Summerhawk Summer School Program, 5,000. And number 57, um, uh, Ocean War the Ocean Warriors Project, 7,500. And let's see, um, number 66, Enriching Lives Through Music, 5,000. Okay, that leaves me. Uh, Sandy, I'm gonna make some changes to the draft I handed you, so don't be surprised. Uh, okay, here, wait just one sec. Okay, uh, number 27, Wise Choice for Girls, 2,500. Number eight, Ambassadors of Hope, 2,500. Number 17, the West Point Inn, 7,500. Number 40, Mount Tam Community Land Trust, 4,500. Number 48, Marin Theater Company, 2,500. Number one, Wooden Boats for Vets, 2,500. Number four, Plain Marin, 7,500. Nature Bridge, 5,000. I'm sorry, number 23. Number 25, Marin Open Studios, 1,500. Number 29, Sausalito Center for the Arts, 3,500. Number 68, Marin Environmental Housing Collaborative, uh, 4,500. Bridge the Gap, number 70, 2,500. The Griot Theater, 2,500. Resilient Neighborhoods, I'm sorry, Griot Theater was 72. Resilient Neighborhoods, number 39, uh, 5,000, number 32, Trips for Kids, 2,500, number 60, Green Change, 2,500, and number 57, All One Ocean, 1,000. All right, thank you, we got it. And I will say you guys did a marvelous job of putting that out there, even I could keep up, so. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, okay, thank you again to everyone, and uh, we'll be back uh, later this year with the final allocations. All right, thank you, and we'll now move to uh, open time for public expression, not on the uh, items, not on the Board of Soup's agenda, and again, I'm gonna remind everyone, I'm gonna call for public comment in the chambers first, and then public comment in the remote online, and then closed public comment. So, so, so Supervisor, I, um, we have that at 10 o'clock, so we're gonna have to oh. recess until 10. Okay, I jumped the gun, okay. so we'll be back at 10 o'clock. Thank, right, thank you. Thank <clears> you.
Okay, we'll uh, reconvene now as the Board of Supervisors. This is the time for public expression for agenda item, uh, items not on today's agenda. And again, I'm gonna call for speakers in the chamber and then separately speakers online and then close public comment. So if you wish to speak, now's the time. Please come to the podium, give your name, and you have two minutes. Hi, Jack. And uh, I am here to uh, request that you very seriously take into account and consider the fact that the Manzanita area, which is close to Tam Valley and uh, next and below the Ridges Bay Bridge, that uh, maintenance, repairs have been uh, ignored the flood district, uh, district number two, uh, needs a lot more money so that flooding does not take place and in turn impede the ability for residents, uh, uh, both on the houseboats, the offices, and people that live there to be able to get out. It's a matter of life and sometimes death. Uh, along with that, uh, there is the opportunity to get housing, affordable housing, workforce housing in that area on properties that I own, and uh, without that being dealt with, that will not happen. In addition, I'd like you to bring back, and I've requested that before, the development code sections, there are three sections that uh, have and need to be uh, changed. Uh, simply not knowing it's been approved, but not knowing that that would impede the ability for housing to take place simply because neither financing nor other uh, practical uh, means of having that obfuscate and impede the ability to make that happen. Um, thank you very much. Any questions, I'd be happy to uh, deal thank with Thank you it. very much, Jack. Any other speakers this morning in the chambers? Scott, will you be, Scott, will you be speaking? Okay, all right, then let's close public comment in the chambers, we'll go online. The first speaker is Clayton Smith, please unmute. Two weekends ago, I attended a workshop put on by the organization Parents for the Educational Right of Kids. It focused on the promotion of the trans agenda in California's public schools and its negative impact on educational outcomes, particularly on low-income students. The, presenter, the presenters were mothers from LA who described themselves as proud Chicanos. One of their principal concerns and something very few people are aware of is how many school systems are now conducting self-reporting surveys on their students concerning their gender identities. The cover story for this is something referred to as the happiness gap. The surveys are produced by and the data they collect is sent to private contractors who are largely outside of government control. In the lower income communities, 
which of these activists are primarily involved. These surveys are being done largely without parental notification and consent in violation of state law. What they see is the powerful creation of gender, a purposeful creation of gender confusion, which leads to gender dysphoria. This, they believe, produces unnecessary anxiety and depression, which undermines the learning process. Also, they fear that these surveys are being used to identify, track, and mold the behavior of vulnerable kids to encourage them to engage in self-destructive, expensive, irreversible, aggressive medical interventions. They have actually given it a name. You'll probably hear later. From classroom to scalpel, it needs to stop. The next speaker is Rodrigo Izquierdo. Please unmute. Hi. I just wanted to um, talk about something that I, I, I listened to watch last night, and that was on um, the plight of the immigrants in, in Texas. <clears throat> And it was talking about how Texas has allocated $102 million. Let me repeat that, $102 million for a bus company to send all the immigrants to, as uh, Governor Abbott wants, to liberal cities, in particular, sanctuary cities. <clears throat> That's the bad news. The good news for Marin is that Marin uh, is a non-sanctuary county, <clears throat> the only one in the, in the Bay Area. So they're not going to receive any immigrants at all, any busloads like Sacramento or Santa Clara receive. Uh, they're just not going uh, to, they are the perfect example of what uh, Abbott wants, a non-sanctuary county. And so that's really uh, the, the bad situation for, uh, for Marin, uh, for, you know, well, uh, for liberals in Marin. And also Marin is known as a conservative liberal county. What does that mean? Is that like a, um, like a liberal Republican? It's just, it doesn't make sense that in a way how can you preach to say that you are liberal? Even Mill Valley has, you know, liberal uh, groups, but they don't, they don't, they don't stick their necks out to say we want to be a sanctuary county. So, in other words, it's all words and, and all facades, like the Human Rights Commission. It's just a facade. Thank you. The next speaker is Sarah Turner. Please unmute. Hello, this is Sarah Turner. I'm um, uh, part of the leadership team of Seniors for Peace and also Friends of Golden Gate Village. Both of those groups have been discussing the um, rule that you uh, allowed the, the uh, Sheriff's Department to keep military equipment. Uh, I know it was at a, a 3-2 vote. And uh, so I attended a meeting that the uh, consultants to the Sheriff's Department were holding around the county to find out what uh, issues the citizens might have about the Sheriff's Department's operations. And at that meeting, there 
it, the one that I went to was in Marin City. And uh, that meeting, there's a lot of discussion again about the, that military equipment and concern about the, the impression that it uh, leaves with the citizens that the sheriff department feels they need that kind of equipment. And uh, there was a strong feeling that the sheriff's department needed to really uh, create firm policies and procedures for when that, uh, that equipment could or could not be used and that that would be that should be approved by you all and also should be uh, publicized to the, the citizens at large to help uh, improve the relationship that the sheriff's department has with some of the citizens in our county. So I hope that you will uh, urge the sheriff's department to do that and that you will approve those policies and uh, procedures the, the can and cannots and uh, and be sure that it is publicized to the citizens of the county. Thank you very much. Okay, we've we'll close comments online. We've already closed comments in the chambers of it. So I'm sorry, I'd, I'd still like to make the comment. I'm not going I, to allow I, that. I, I I've talked with important. county council. I don't think you should edit We're the going comments. To move I'm on. standing here, and there's no procedural reason for you Eva, to eliminate it's my comment. closed. I announced it twice today. You're welcome to come up I'm, at another time. Uh, We're going to move on uh, now to Stephanie, item number I, three. This is Board we, of Supervisors. Can we ask matters. County Council if that's appropriate? Because I don't think there's a reason to distinguish between the online and in-the-room comment. I've consulted with County Council. I'd appreciate it if you might comment on this. Uh, sure. Uh, president Moulton Peters, uh, the board president can set rules uh, for procedure and follow them, and that's a perfectly appropriate rule of order. I have asthma. I have an asthma disability, and sometimes it takes me longer to catch my breath. And so I would ask that you not enforce the rules so arbitrarily. Um, I think it's 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 not reasonable. Okay, thank you for your comment. We're going to move on now. And just please sit closer to the podium so you can get to it. That, that's not the issue. The issue is I have uh, asthma that's rated at disability level. And I often need, after riding over here, I need to catch my breath. And so you are discriminating against me on two counts. One, on the count of my asthma disability. And two, because I need to ride the bike over here because that is what is within my budget. And so there is both uh, an income and a disability um, discrimination. And it, it costs you nothing to let me make my comment, but it costs you a great deal more to try to edit out comments that um, are critical of the county and that are well-founded based on a great deal of research that I spend a lot of time doing, uh, in, in fact, in conjunction with uh, Brian Washington here, who, whose office fulfills a lot of my CPRAs. So I would ask that you reconsider. Sorry. Yeah, uh, President Moulton Peters, I can speak to the uh, speaker offline about her disability request and about a potential accommodation in the future. Okay, thank you very much. So we're moving on to Board of Supervisors matters, and these are informational updates, and then we'll go to the County Administrator's report. Uh, let's start with Vice President Rodoni. Good morning. Just a couple quick items this morning. Uh, 
Light rain didn't dampen the Marin Pride celebration at Stafford Lake last Sunday. I attended along with uh, Supervisor Lucan and Assemblymember Conley, and it was a nice crowd given that we had sprinkles most of the time. Uh, then on Saturday, Fernando and I attended the Olive uh, Elementary Hispanic Heritage Month celebration, and we shared some certificates from Supervisor Lucan and myself honoring parents uh, in that community. So those are my two reports. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Stafford. I don't have anything today. Thank you. Yeah, uh, just quickly, I, I would like it if we could adjourn today's meeting in memory of Roger Roberts, who passed away suddenly earlier, um, actually, yeah, earlier this month, longtime resident of San Rafael, an active member and leader of the Marin Conservation League for many years and many other environmental organizations and community efforts. He was a very kind man, did his research, and um, added... Um, uh, really excellent observation and input to many, many community discussions, and he will be missed. And just one quick update from the Smart Board. We had our uh, regular meeting last week, and we approved a uh, contract, a $32 million contract for a second station in Petaluma and a whole series of uh, multi-use path uh, improvements uh, heading from uh, Petaluma up to Pengrove, Rohnert Park up to uh, Santa Rosa, a uh, very significant uh, contract that was awarded and a much needed second station in Petaluma, uh, which I know a lot of our employees here at the County of Marin uh, rely on or will rely on once that is operational. Uh, so good news all around uh, from the S Smart Board. Thank you. Uh, and for my comments, I'll note that last Saturday, uh, excuse me, Sunday, we celebrated the 40th anniversary of the Marin County Farmers Market with the Agricultural Institute of Marin and once again celebrated the connection between the farm and those of us who eat what comes from the farm and the importance that that farmers market has to our community. I attended a water resilience panel in Southern Marin with uh, Marin Waters Jed Smith and Sausalito Mayor Melissa Blasting. We talked about water resilience in Marin County. I want to acknowledge that our Public Works Director, Rosemary Gaglioni, attended and provided info for my comments as well. And then finally, uh, Sunday night was the Mill Valley uh, Millie Awards for Creative Achievement. These are lifetime awards, and just like other communities in Marin County, we are blessed with a lot of creative minds and talents in Mill Valley. Okay, that's all I have. Uh, Matthew, your report. Yes, good morning, Supervisors. I do have a few amendments to the agenda. So first off, I'd like to remove two items from our agenda. Um, CA4A, uh, at the request of Health and Human Services, we're removing that item. And then um, closed session, item number 11, at the request of County Council, we're removing that item. Uh, in addition to that, um, for the um, item number 12, we're continuing that item. One of the appellants has requested a continuation of that hearing, so we will not be having a 1.30 hearing, and we'll post that online as well as in the chambers, and then we'll, coming, we'll be uh, continuing that hearing to uh, a date certain in November. And then there are two items that we're amending on the agenda. The first one is item 9C. Um, one of the applicants, Julia, could serve both the agriculture or the at-large position, and so we've added that agricultural designation um, for your consideration later this morning. 
And then on item CB1, uh, the letter is correct, but the agenda reads 0.75 FTE rather than one full FTE. So the correction should be one FTE consistent with the letter. So, um, so those are the amendments to the agenda. And then lastly, when we, uh, on consent calendar A, I just wanted to point out, um, I know that we've had uh, discussions uh, at our budget hearings about the board's goal to leverage state funding for IHSS workers. And so um, th there's really gonna be a three-step process to do that. Uh, the first step is to, what's before you today, is to get the state match on the 50 cent increase because of the state uh, minimum wage increase that's expected in January. So this will not this is the first step, not the only step on increasing IHSS wages. The next step is next week we'll be coming with a living wage that will set the $18 an hour, and then we're gonna be in negotiations, and as we talked about in our budget hearing, likely that could go above the living wage as through the negotiation process. So I did, did wanna point that out just so that no one thought that was the only IHSS uh, wage increase, uh, and that's item CA4E on your consent agenda. So that's my report. Okay, very good. Are there any questions? That was a more lengthy report. Yes. Okay, we're going to go to public comment first in the chambers and then online, and then we'll close public comment. Please. That, uh, none of the Board of Supervisors uh, made any comment regarding uh, what was recently revealed by County Council, which is that yet another member of their Sheriff Civilian Oversight Working Group um, was found out to have been tightly linked to law enforcement and in fact, former law enforcement. And um, you know, it, it certainly makes the case along with the other conflicts of interest like the two one-year contracts adding up to about 3.2 or $3.4 million for Charlie Drezzo who was also on that uh, Sheriff Civilian Oversight Working Group. Um, uh, Curtis Akins, whose son is law enforcement, uh, both S first SFPD and then sheriff. It certainly seems like, uh, you know, the process needs to be uh, scrapped and started over with people who aren't, um, you know, quietly hiding um, their severe conflicts of interest. Heidi Merchant, having been uh, both a Marin County deputy working in our deadly Marin County Jail, and I know you don't like to hear this, Stephanie, and that's probably why you tried to shut me up in the last section, but the reality is we have, our jail has a higher per inmate death rate than Santa Rita Jail. It has a higher per inmate death rate than Rikers Island. You know, uh, it's, it's very ugly and it's very naked what you're doing, Stephanie Moulton-Peters, in trying to stifle responsible reporting in this county. Everyone can see it. Um, you know, and that's just part of it. I went to the civil grand jury office uh, last Tuesday after this meeting. They don't even have the reports available for the public to read. The reports on the jail are particularly important because not everybody can access the internet. You have a, a serious uh, digital divide here in the county where people in West Marin can't get online. Um, they then they have to squeeze into library time 
to get it, and they may Over not have a printer, they may not be able to afford copies. Would you wrap up, The copies please? of the civil grand jury report need to be available to the public in the civil grand jury office. I shouldn't have had to explain that either to staff or to your inept okay. civil We're grand jury. We're at jurors. two and a half minutes now. We're at time. Next, please. Is there anyone in the chambers? All right, we'll close the comment in the chambers and go online. I see three hands. First speaker is Clayton Smith. He's on mute. Yeah, I wanted to comment on this additional money being spent on uh, the um, what many of us consider the not-so-smart train boondoggle. Um, given the growing impact of deficit spending currently on the financial and credit markets. I think uh, we have to re-examine much of this government subsidized, all these government subsidized projects. And I think it would start by informing the public on exactly what percentage of the expenses of the smart train are actually being covered by the fair revenue. I think that's important. How much of the actual expense of the smart train, including its capital expense, are being covered by the fair revenues, then how much of it is covered by the uh, tax, sales tax revenues, and how much of it is actually dependent now on federal grants, which themselves are dependent on endless amounts of increased and continuing uh, federal government deficit spending. I think that would be helpful to put in perspective any additions and any additional spending on the smart train so that the general public can actually measure the value of what they're getting or what they're having to pay because the interest rate expense and the inflation expense are actually hidden taxes that people in the productive part of the economy are having to experience now an ever greater impact on their own lives. We need that information. So I hope Mr. Lucan will provide that perhaps at his next um, um, report. Thank you. The next speaker is Rodriguez Cardo. Please unmute. Hi. I want to talk about uh, discriminatory enforcement of laws and procedures that the county um, does. Like I, I just saw what happened to you know your discretion to not allow Eva to talk, and uh, you use county council to back you up. And but anytime I talk about the the Brown Act and the fact that the Human Rights Commission doesn't follow them and has been adequately reported, there is no, no one seems to be concerned about it. No one, you know, uh, Mr. Washington does not uh, interject. Your, your human resources, your EEO director, Roger Crawford, could stand there, be in the room when the public is being attacked by your chair, and uh, he doesn't do anything. So in other words, isn't that discrimination when you uh, allow uh, discriminatory uh, choosing of what's important, that you don't allow 
members of, of some, uh, some study groups to follow the conflict of interest or to file the Form 700 for conflict of interest when, when it deals with county money, it's okay that they don't fill it out. Other counties have to fill it out. Uh, the HRC does not have to follow the Brown Act. Uh, but you're going to jump on Eva if she uh, is uh, an ADA qualified person, is out of breath and can't speak. Now you're going to jump on uh, you know, a disabled person, but you're going to allow scoundrels uh, to do everything they want to. Thank you. The next speaker is Patrick McNicholas and is on mute. Yes, uh, is this the proper time to comment on the presentation? Uh, on the Bay Wave sea level yes. rise? You know, we will be hearing that right after we approve the consent calendar. Can, can you wait another few minutes? Yes. Great, all right, it'll be item number six. President Mullen Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, thank you. We'll bring that back and close public comment now and we'll move on to consent calendar A. Is there anyone who wishes to comment or pull anything from A? Yes, Supervisor Moulton Peters, I'd like to um, comment on item CA1, and I know we have some folks in the audience as well. And this is a resolution declaring October as Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Just really appreciate the collaboration between our justice partners and the Center for Domestic Peace to continue to bring this issue to light and um, make sure we continue to talk about it. Uh, it's one of the highest priority crimes for law enforcement in Marin County. It's complex and requires a coordinated and supportive network of community-based and governmental agency response um, from health and human services, child and family services, oftentimes housing assistance, mental health assistance, legal services, job training, family strengthening, medical care, education. It interplays with employers um, and the criminal justice and court agencies as well. So I just want to um, declare October as Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Advisors, comments or concerns? All right, we'll go to uh, public comment now. Yes, I wanted to comment on uh, item CAE. Is this the proper time? Okay. Good morning, I'm Pat Langley, a member of the Marine Organizing Committee. And raising the IHSS workers' wage is of critical importance. And um, just as Mr. Heimel said, this is just the first step. But given the reality that we live in the oldest county in the state and have the highest rents, it is critical that Marin attract workers to this field. In the not-so-distant past, students would see caregiving as a path to helping with tuition. That's not true today. Starting in April, fast food workers will be paid $20 an hour, and by 2028, they'll be getting $25 an hour. Right now, they can, work, they can earn $19 an hour making and serving hamburgers. Negotiations with the union and IHS's workers are about to start. MOC is advocating that Marin negotiate a path to $26 an hour. 
which is close, according to MIT, to a true living wage for a single person. San Francisco, our competing county, is already on a path to 2550. This is a justice, equity, most of our caregivers are women of color, and a market rate issue. If we don't pay an attractive wage, our people of need will not be served. This agenda item should be passed with the understanding that more needs to be done. And on, my, on MOC's behalf and those who are with me today, I encourage you to pass that item. Thank you. Thank you. Others in the chambers, please come up. Hi, I'm here to talk about the Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Is that a good time? All right. Thank you for having me today. My name is Jonathan Deras, and I am the Prevention Manager at the Center for Domestic Peace. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, which we simply call it as DVAM, where we have opportunities to raise awareness of this issue, which continues to be the most violent crime in Marin. The resolution being presented today has specific language we would like to point out, highlighting the important work of young people in Marin, whereas young men in Marin are stepping up in large numbers than ever before, with 65 young men participating in Center for Domestic Peace, healthy masculinity programs in local schools and colleges. Our youth are championing these efforts not only because it affects their loved ones, but also because it continues to affect their own personal relationships. Thank you, and we invite the county to continue to think creatively to explore your role to end domestic violence creatively. Thank you. Thank you. Next, please. Good morning. Good morning, Lori Frigoli. It's my honor to serve as your district attorney. Um, thank you so much for this resolution um, honoring Domestic Violence Awareness Month. It is really important. It is our number one uh, violent crime, and we are so happy to coordinate and collaborate with the Center for Domestic Peace and other partners in our community. I wanted to let you know tomorrow uh, at 6 o'clock we are having a webinar. It's a free webinar in Spanish and English, and it's on the topic abuse is not always physical. And uh, the point is to really help people understand that they may not be in an abusive situation. They may not realize they're being abused. They may know someone who they can help through information they can learn in this webinar. So we hope that you join us. It's free. There's going to be another one in November um, carrying on the conversation. So thank you again. Appreciate it. Lori, how do we find out how to tune in? You can go to my website, MarinCountyDA.org, and it's free. It'll be a Zoom webinar. People can uh, don't have to identify themselves to watch it, and we really hope people share it with friends and family. Thank you. Thank you. Next, please. I think the question is, how do you categorize violence and who is prosecuted for it? You just saw Lori Pugoli, your district attorney, speak. Uh, we know that she's overseen an office that prosecutes a uh, very high rate of black and Latino uh, people in this county. I'd also point out that limiting domestic violence discussion to something that just happens in a house, like a household, a family household, is very limiting. Um, given the recent deaths in the Marin County Jail, which the supervisors have refused to speak about, that's another kind of house. That's another kind of family. It's the family of the state enacting violence against its poorest members. Whatever you thought of either of the men who were found hanged in the Marin County Jail, the fact is that both they and their 
victims had a right to see the trials proceed. We've now created a situation in the county where you're not just seeing a, a higher per inmate death than at Rikers Island. We're also seeing a situation where you're enacting additional violence through the forced psych med program, which you just saw a presentation of. And there was a lot of information that you saw last week. There's a lot of information that was excluded from that. It was pretty shocking. Uh, I wrote about it at marincountyconfidential.substack.com. It's a free site um, with a lot of the information um, that I CPRA regarding the county's abusive practices. But uh, you know, it's 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 disingenuous to present the county as trying to provide some measure of safety and security when it itself is enacting violence against the poorest members of the community. In the chambers. All right, we'll go online then. The front speaker is Ted Jackson. Please unmute. Hello, this is Ted Jackson with the Marin Center for Independent Living, and um, thank you all for the opportunity to, to speak before you today. I want to touch on the same issue as Pat Langley from MOC, and um, uh, Pat has, uh, you know, gone through the facts and figures very well, so I don't need to repeat them. Um, we appreciate the perfunctory move today to raise the IHSS wage in line with the new um, minimum wage with the state, and that there will be a vote on living wage coming up very soon. Um, but just want to impress upon you that there is an active wage market in our community, and people can find work that helps them provide for their families in other places, especially with the rising fast food wage. Uh, we are in a home care crisis and trying to find people who will do this extremely valuable and extremely you know much needed work in our community we run a private registry ourselves and know how hard it is to find people to do this work and competitive wage is um, is a barrier uh, to finding people and to keeping up with the need and so I would hope that as you take this step today the next step within the next week or so um, and go into the negotiations, be mindful that this is all to serve some of our, you know, uh, residents here in Marin County who have served us all for their whole lives and uh, should have integrity in the final years of those lives and need the support of caregivers who can afford to be there for them. Thank you. The next speaker is Rodrigo Izquierdo. Please unmute. I want to talk about how moronic it is that this month is anti-violence, uh, but in the, in the Human Rights Commission, it was a mob from Novato came down one time around June and attacked a journalist, even physically. And nothing was done about it. A sheriff report was made. All that was asked was an apology and procedure so it doesn't happen again. None of that was ever addressed by you, the Board of Supervisors, by County uh, Council or, or the District Attorney. So in other words, violence was permitted 
and the very committee that's supposed to stop it, and that's the Human Rights Commission. So in a way, isn't that moronic? That in a way, it's permitted by someone who actually does it? Think about it and do something. Send some of your representatives there. Send your aides there and actually see how, how intimidating they are and how they don't really want any public participation. Do something about it, please. Thank you. President Wong Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We'll close public comment and I will entertain a motion for C, uh, consent A. Happy to move consent A with the modifications from the county administrator. Second. Okay, thank you. Motion by second, second by Rodoni. All in favor? Aye. 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 We'll move on to consent B now. Are there any comments or any, anything from the supervisors? Okay, we'll open to public comment now. Is there anyone who wishes to speak on consent B? On CB4, um, the additional $100,000 for legal services related to workplace investigations. Given what was just demonstrated by Stephanie Moulton-Peters today, the attempt to silence any legitimate criticism of practices in the county, um, whether from within or without, I think we can understand why the county continues to have to pay out for these investigations. You've been told many times that things are going wrong, whether it was, why aren't you um, doing a health inspection of the internment camp that Supervisor uh, Damon Connolly put together, uh, who's now replaced by Mary Sackett in San Rafael. Uh, there was never any investigation of that uh, because the victims of, of that camp were so poor uh, the majority were black and Latino. Um, you were able to get away with it. We weren't able to get representation for them. But I see again and again how uh, the board collectively, and I've been watching this for years now, I've been coming here for years now, uh, you, you shut down dissent, necessary dissent, necessary criticism, uh, people who take the time to actually investigate what's happening um, using the document, the county's own documents, are shut down repeatedly. It was very naked uh, what Stephanie Moulton-Peters did earlier today during public comment. Uh, there was no reason to discriminate uh, against my speaking and President Moulton-Peters, you did it because you feared a discussion of what's actually happening in the county and you don't, you want to shut down those avenues for dissent for criticism, the necessary parts of a healthy democracy. Else in the chambers. All right, we'll go online. Is there any public comment online? President Mon Peters, there are no speakers in the queue. I'll bring back. I'll move B. Uh, consent B with the um, correction to CB one. Second. Okay. Thank you. Motion by Rice. Second by Lucan. All in favor? Aye. 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 That brings us to item number six, I believe. And that is uh, our um, presentation uh, by 
Reinhold uh, from the Bay De Conservation and Development Commission. Good morning, Ariel and Daniel. Good morning, board. Uh, my name is Ariel Espiritu Santo, Assistant County Administrator here with the County of Marin. I'm pleased to introduce Dana Breckwald, who's the Assistant Planning Director at the San Francisco Bay Conservation and Development Commission, otherwise known as BCDC. She's going to be giving a presentation today on Bay Adapt, which is their regional policy um, regarding addressing sea level rise resiliency here in the Bay. This presentation is especially timely given the recent passage of SB 272, which now requires that all jurisdictions that touch the Bay or the coast in the Bay Area must have resiliency plans that abide by the, um, the rules and the structure laid out by BCDC and the Coastal Commission. So with that, um, I'm gonna turn it over to Dana to talk about this, this plan that's addressing one of your top, top priorities, which is sea level rise. Thank you. Thank you, Ariel. Good morning, supervisors. As Ariel said, I'm Dana Breckwald. I'm the Assistant Planning Director for Climate Adaptation at the San Francisco Bay Conservation and Development Commission. And today I'm going to share with you the regional sea level rise adaptation work we're doing at BCDC and in partnership with other regional agencies. And as Ariel mentioned, this is an especially exciting time for sea level rise planning with the recent passage of SB 272. Uh, which elevates BCDC as the approving agency for sub-regional sea level rise adaptation plans along the Bay shoreline. Next slide, please. Um, as a reminder of who we are and why we work along the shoreline, BCDC is a California state agency with regulatory authority over the San Francisco Bay, the Bay's shoreline band, and the Sassoon Marsh. The mission of BCDC is to protect and enhance the San Francisco Bay and encourage the Bay's responsible and productive use for this and future generations. We do this through permitting projects in and around the Bay to minimize fill and maximize public access as well as regional planning along its shorelines. Next slide, please. So the Bay was once much larger than it is today, but many of the wetlands and shallow areas have been filled in to create land for development and agriculture. In the 1960s, the three women pictured here began to fight to stop this fill. They envisioned a brighter future for the Bay, advocating for the passage of the McAteer-Petrus Act, which is our enabling legislation. BCDC is one of California's three agencies with the Coastal Commission and the Coastal Conservancy that make up the state's coastal zone management program. But over the last decade, we'd had to pivot from an agency that was primarily responsible for managing a shrinking bay due to fill to now a growing bay due to sea level rise. Next slide. And sea level rise isn't just something to worry about in the future. Flooding is already happening in our communities. Flooding can impact the bay in the form of storm surges, extreme high tides, and sea level rise. 
And these types of flooding can occur individually or they can happen together, which amplifies the severity of flooding. And what looks like nuisance flooding today at King Tides will become the areas that are permanently underwater in the future. Further inland, severe rainfall, which causes rivers and creeks to swell, can come together with coastal flooding in ways that we're only beginning to understand. Just this past winter, Marin saw flooding of Highway 37 and local roads in San Rafael, Corte Madera, Marin City, among other locations. We already regularly see flooding in Tam Valley and the Bothine Marsh, and increased sea level rise and groundwater rise will also impact the way temporary flooding is able to drain once a storm event is over, leading to more permanent inundation. And clearly, this is a multifaceted issue that's real for us today. Next slide. If nothing is done to adapt to sea level rise, a stark picture emerges around the bay. In as little as 40 years, we could see impacts to our interconnected region-wide systems, such as disruption to 5 million daily car commuters and 60,000 rail commuters, flooding of tens of thousands of existing housing units and planned housing units, as well as existing and planned jobs, impacts to nearly 30,000 socially vulnerable residents, and 20,000 acres of depressional wetlands, lagoons, and tidal marshes that could drown. So it doesn't matter if you personally don't live near the shoreline, this is an issue that will impact everyone in the Bay. Next slide. So here's a snapshot of the Marin County shoreline from our Bay Shoreline Flood Explorer. This map shows 12 inches of sea level rise inundation. Marin has a significant amount of bay frontage and is one of the earliest counties to see significant flooding. So here at 12 inches, we see early flooding in Mill Valley, Corte Madera, San Rafael, and Nevado. Next slide. This map shows 52 inches of total water level, which is the equivalent of 12 inches of sea level rise plus 100 year storm, which is a likely scenario for a 2050 storm event or areas that could be permanently inundated by 2100. The darker blue you see here shows depth of flooding. So you can see that the majority of change in, in impacts occurs along the Nevado Baylands, um, seriously impacting SR 37. Next slide. And lastly, this is what 96 inches of total water level looks like. 96 inches might seem like a lot, but it's also a likely picture of what we can expect towards the end of the century in a storm event. Our bay shoreline is significantly flooded, taking with it numerous homes, jobs, and critical infrastructure. Next slide. So without a doubt, sea level rise is going to require a radical reimagining of the bay's shoreline all around the region. And while adaptation is already occurring locally, it is not likely to happen fast enough, efficiently enough, or in a way that advances our larger regional goals if it occurs on a site-by-site -site or city-by-city -city basis. And this is largely because flooding doesn't follow jurisdictional boundaries, but decisions made along one part of the shoreline can have unintentional impacts on neighboring jurisdictions. Essential habitats such, such as wetlands are at the front lines and at risk of being lost. There's finite funding available, and if everyone goes it alone, there will be greater competition for funding, and we're less likely to seek collaborative multi-benefit opportunities. And lastly, without working together to define a shared vision of what we want to achieve, we can't know if we're moving towards success for a region or what success even means. Next slide. So this is where our Bay Adapt program comes in. In early 2020, B BCDC brought together a wide variety of leaders across sectors such as pro public, private, community, and nonprofit 
to come up with a consensus-driven strategy that lays out the actions necessary to adapt the San Francisco Bay shoreline to rising sea level to protect people and the natural and built environment. Next slide. Bay Adapt was guided by a set of guiding principles developed by our leadership advisory group. And these served as our North Star throughout the process and included things like putting nature first whenever possible, um, practicing inclusive community-led governance and decision-making, um, supporting existing efforts but planning for the long term, and making sure that we're picking the right strategy for the right place at the right time. Next slide. So the culmination of this effort over the first two years was the adoption of our Bay Adapt joint platform in October 2021. We engaged with hundreds of participants through public workshops, community focus groups, working groups, and more. And it has since been widely endorsed by over 55 cities, counties, and special interest groups, including Marin County. The joint platform identifies nine actions and 21 tasks that do not specify specific projects along the shoreline, but instead are designed to overcome common barriers and set the stage for faster, more equitable adaptation. Actions include things like elevating communities to lead, aligning local and regional plans into a unified approach, and figuring out how to fund adaptation. Next slide. To achieve this last action I mentioned, we partnered with MTC ABAG to develop a region-wide cost estimate for shoreline adaptation, which is $110 billion through 2050 in year of expenditure dollars to protect against 4.9 feet of sea level rise and flooding. But this large number pales in comparison to the cost of inaction. Even just a parcel, par partial estimate of the cost of inaction is $230 billion, which is based on losses to assessed property values and transportation, but not market value. This is obviously much higher than the estimated cost of sea level rise adaptation projects through mid-century. So the difference in these values makes it clear that adaptation action will be worthwhile many times over. Next slide. So as we look at how these costs break down across the entire region, there are several key takeaways. First, we developed this cost estimate using actual costs for projects that are underway or planned, but we also identified placeholder projects where flooding will occur, but no projects have been identified yet. Around the region, approximately half of the regional estimated value comes from these placeholder projects. Most of the projects we identified are not strictly green or gray, but hybrid in nature, representing a focus on multiple benefits, such as levees paired with marsh restoration. Broken down by county, Alameda and Marin counties have the highest cost estimates with the information we gathered, which aligns with their vulnerability to sea level rise. And many counties have implementation gaps or large amounts of placeholder projects, including Marin, Alameda, and Contra Costa. And this isn't to say that local jurisdictions don't understand what's at stake, um, but rather that many local governments, 92%, according to a recent BCDC survey, indicated that they lack resources to adequately plan and prepare for sea level rise. Next slide, please. So here's a snapshot of the information we gathered on Marin County projects. Um, the county total for all projects and placeholders is uh, approximately 17 billion in escalated dollars. And of this, currently about 75% are placeholder projects. And the list here on the right does not show all Marin County projects we identified, but those with the highest costs. You can find a complete list of the projects we identified, uh, which we identified through desktop research as well as outreach to local staff on our Adapting to Rising Tides website, adaptingtorisingtides.org. Next slide. 
As part of the study, we also developed a revenue forecast to estimate how much revenue the region could anticipate through 2050 for sea level rise adaptation from sources that already exist. Our $5.5 billion estimate is higher than ever thanks to increases in revenue and new grant programs, but it still barely represents a drop in the bucket for the $110 billion need. We also explored new funding sources to fill this gap and researched three possible new revenue measures at the county, local, and regional scales, including parcel taxes, ad valorem property taxes, and assessment districts. But there is no silver bullet. There's no single revenue measure that is projected to be capable of addressing the funding gap. Next slide. So where do we go from here? Um, this first bullet here, I'm gonna spend a little bit of time talking on, um, which is integrating regional and local planning. Um, BCDC doesn't wanna come in and tell Marin exactly what to do along your shoreline, but we do wanna help make good science-informed decisions that won't negatively impact other areas of the bay. And we're currently developing a project to do that. Our shoreline, regional shoreline adaptation plan is our major implementing project of Bay Adapt. And currently we're in the first phase of this project, which is creating guidelines that will include standards and criteria that will be required in sub-regional shoreline resiliency plans. Following the adoption of these guidelines, the next step is to support local jurisdictions through policy and technical assistance in creating their own uh, shoreline adaptation plans. This is all the more exciting with the passage of SB 272. Um, so I'll just recap what SB 272 actually does and how it relates to our shoreline adaptation plan. First, as Ariel said, it requires local jurisdictions along the San Francisco Bay shoreline to develop sub-regional shoreline resiliency plans. This scale and what these plans are, are is not defined in the bill, but are being defined through our project. This is a statewide bill. Uh, for the Outer Coast, the Coastal Commission has equivalent responsibility through their local coastal program, and we've been working closely with the Coastal Commission to ensure that we're in alignment, which is especially important for counties like Marin that have both Outer Coast and Bay Shoreline. The bill requires BCDC to develop guidelines by the end of 2024, which, as I said, we are currently doing, and we are on track to have these completed by uh, the deadline and specifically calls out that the guidelines will be built on BADAS guiding principles, which I shared with you earlier. It requires that sub-regional plans are submitted to BCDC for review and approval based on consistency with the guidelines, and it sets up an important carrot. Um, projects and strategies contained within the approved plans will be prioritized for state funding. It also sets a timeline for completion of these sub-regional plans by January 2034, although we are hoping we can exceed that timeline in the Bay Area. So BCDC is currently on track to meet the requirements of SB 272 and help cities and counties also meet its requirements. Um, and I just wanna emphasize here that the bill is linked to funding. Uh, grant funding for developing these shoreline resiliency plans will be available starting at the end of 2023 from the Ocean Protection Council and other pots could be um, applied for this purpose as well. Ocean Protection Council currently has 95.9 million available for planning and implementation. And we worked with the Ocean Protection Council on their current grant criteria to ensure that it's aligned with our Bay Adapt. And once the guidelines are complete, we will work with OPC to update those for future grant rounds. There are, are is currently historic levels of funding for adaptation, um, so it is in jurisdiction's best interest to get these plans developed soon. 
The state has allocated $690 million for multi-year funding for climate change adaptation between now and 2050. And at the federal level, more than $6 billion is available for federal funding across multiple program areas. What does this mean in Marin, who's already ahead of the game in terms of plans and projects for sea level rise? Uh, we, we certainly plan on learning from existing uh, planning, such as what's been done through C-SMART and BayWave, so that our guidelines build on and don't replace existing planning efforts around the region, and we'll work with counties like Marin, who've already done work on how it can come into compliance with SB 272 over time. We're eager to direct funding to where it needs to go, and having projects already identified places will place you first in line as the OPC funding opens up. And lastly, your sea level rise adaptation organizational structure and decision-making process RFP is extremely timely. New requirements will likely benefit from more innovative forms of coordination and governance, so SB 272 provides direction and a tangible goal for the county to aim towards. And alongside this first major goal, which again is all the more important with the passage of 272, we also want to ensure that we support frontline communities who know their communities best, prioritize early investments in equity through working with the Ocean Protection Council to direct funds where they need to go, linking resilience funding to other regional needs such as housing and transportation, and building a network of leaders. Uh, these are folks like you and other community leaders who can really push this issue into the public eye. And last slide. Uh, lastly, I'll just quickly mention our first public workshop for the Regional Shoreline Adaptation Plan, which is happening via Zoom this Thursday. Um, anyone can register at the website here, bayadapt.org, and uh, please also feel free to reach out to me at any time. Thank you. Thank you, Dana. Very comprehensive. Uh, questions from any of my colleagues? Yes, Supervisor Sackley. Thank you, Dana. I really appreciate the presentation and appreciate your executive director working with us um, on various projects. Um, it seems like the vision is right with Bay Adapt, and the you know outreach and stakeholders are really comprehensive. And I think we've got a shared vision. Um, how do we go from planning to implementation? And you know, in particular. How do we make sure that the regulations that can slow our implementation or just the inconsistencies are sort of, I feel like that the regional agencies really do have a shared vision, but it, it appears that oftentimes the actual permit and regulations aren't there yet. And I'd love to hear you speak to kind of how you envision that happening and how we can really move forward with these projects and not be, you know, caught up in... Um, regulatory hurdles? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I'll speak primarily to BCDC's regulatory authorities. As part of our Bay Adapt initiative, uh, we did um, secure funding for two staff on our regulatory side that have created a, a new unit that is looking at, at the regulatory issues um, around sea level rise adaptation plans. So we're looking uh, at our own laws and policies, at our own permitting processes, and how the, that might need to be adapted uh, for the future in order to accelerate uh, climate adaptation projects along the shoreline. Of course, BCDC is only one piece of the puzzle, and we're usually last in line. Um, so BCDC does participate 
in a, the Bay Restoration Regulatory Integration Team, um, which brings together multiple permitting agencies to um, try to accelerate nature-based um, projects. We're looking at that as a model for potentially accelerating different types of adaptation projects. Um, but it's still, it's still early days in really sorting out how we can accelerate that permitting process. We don't want that to be a major hurdle when it comes to increased projects along the shoreline and uh, also projects that are more complicated and are perhaps um, proposing strategies that haven't been proven yet. I appreciate that. And, and um, I think that beneficial reuse is really one of these areas that we're hearing about everybody knows we need to do. There's not going to be enough sediment to adapt to sea level rise yet. We're struggling to actually use it and not be encouraged to go to in-bay disposal. So how do we kind of, you know, get in line with what the vision is there, I think, um, you know, is really important. And I appreciate the work that the BRIT does um, in getting all of these myriad of agencies um, in line with each other. Do you anticipate that there's a potential for pilot projects that could, you know, maybe on smaller scales try some of these things, um, you know, nature-based solutions that we may not have, have tried, but we could do some pilot projects to get a proof of concept? Yeah, I, I think that's um, what the, the BRIT and its associated um, funding arm, the Restoration Authority, is aiming to do. Um, so we do, uh, Measure AA created a funding, a pot of funding for um, restoration projects around the Bay, and those projects are eligible to go through the BRIT rather than the traditional permitting processes. So I think that's definitely the space we have right now for nature-based solutions. Um, it's, it gets a little trickier when we look at hybrid solutions, which will be required down the line when nature-based solutions are no longer as effective. Um, but that's, that's really what we're looking at right, right now, is how to set up that, that structure to accelerate those pilot projects. Yeah, thank you, Dana, for a great presentation. I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about how BCDC will coordinate on the ocean side, because as you know, San Mateo, San Francisco, Marin, and Sonoma have both bay and ocean side. And um, what my, I worry about a little bit is the bay side has a lot of the infrastructure and economic importance, So, but I don't think it should dominate when it comes to solutions and adaptation. So I wonder if you could just comment a little bit more about your collaboration with the Coastal Commission and, and others on the ocean side also. Sure. So uh, the Coastal Commission already has a, a process in place for shore, for bay, or sorry, outer coast shoreline planning, the local coastal program. Um, so SB 272, when it names the Coastal Commission as the authorizing agency there, they have a program to build on, whereas we're building our program from scratch because no such plans exist on the bay side. So we're certainly, uh, we meet with the Coastal Commission on a regular basis. Um, we're definitely familiarizing ourselves with their existing process um, so that we can really just borrow, borrow what's working um, out on the outer coast, um, as well as, as try to identify the differences between the outer coast and the bay. As you mentioned, there is significantly more infrastructure and um, economic activity along the bay, the bay shoreline. So what we're envisioning is potentially aligning timelines for these plans and aligning planning processes, even if the requirements might be a little bit different on the outer coast and the bay shoreline because of these, these differences in, in needs um, and conditions. Um, 
so it's, it's a little early to say right now, you know, exactly how things will play out in terms of how the guidelines will align in the outer coast and on the bay. Um, but we're, we're certainly working with them quite closely to, uh, to make sure that our, our processes are compatible um, with mindfulness of the four counties that, that will have to do both. Thank you so much for being here today to make this presentation, and I assume you're marching around um, the Bay Area doing similar presentations, and I appreciate the work of BCD, BCDC and, and um, the role you're playing, and it's huge. Um, it was a, it was a um, great presentation, um, and, but it's only so long, and there's a lot more detail, but you covered a lot. The things that stand out to me is... Um, the things that stand out to me are um, the fact that we have both public infrastructure and private infrastructure. We have um, we have uh, transportation infrastructure. We have recreational um, property. We have um, so many different types of impacts, uh, social and economic impacts that are possible. Uh, or that, that are going to that are going to happen uh, as time goes on, unless we do something. And then the other thing that really stands out to me, and particularly in Marin, but in other counties as well, is um, how m there's multiple jurisdictions involved, uh, especially on our Bay shoreline. Um, so I guess um, this is a question to both you and um, Ariel. I'm uh, thinking about uh, SB 272. I'm thinking about our own RFP that um, the county has just um, uh, put out. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could talk in your perspective roles about how you see a county like Marin coming together in terms of creating these regional and sub-regional um, plans uh, and, and how we're going to execute on that. Thank you for the question. Um, yeah, it, it's a big question, and I think, you know, as um, Dana alluded to, with Marin, we, we are a step ahead, a step ahead in um, some regards and that we do have a number of vulnerability assessments already conducted throughout the county. So this RFP that's out right now is to look to see what is our model to bring the whole county together so how do, we, how do we bring together those different projects? How do we look at prioritizing them? How do we move to that next step of implementation? And I guess the short answer is I don't have the answer for what that's going to look like, but I am really glad that, that we're here asking the questions. And the fact that BCDC is in this place and with SB 272, they have the authority to help bring us all together. I really think it's a situation where we're all learning at the same time. Um, as Marin is one of the counties that's going to be the most impacted the soonest. And so I look forward to us being hopefully a model in this space. And um, yes, thank you for calling out the RFP. That is open right now. And I just want to note the submission deadline is November 17th. This is an RFP to look at our governance model for the county and how we come together on sea level rise. And I'll just add, I don't think there, any, there is one right model or right answer. I, I do really appreciate that in Marin County, the RFP is coming out of the city administrator's office. Um, I think it's important to pull together many different skill sets to do this kind of work. You know, you need the technical scientists, you need 
engineering and public works, you need planning, you need funding and finance um, in order to, to sort of move across the whole spectrum of planning from community engagement to um, you know, assessing which strategies are appropriate along the shoreline and then paying for them and executing on that. Um, so it really is very multidisciplinary, and um, I, I would just say that you know the only model that I know that works is is one that is communicative and collaborative and multidisciplinary. Thank you. Um, and I was thinking also about in terms of the, the question that was raised with regards to the different regulatory bodies and the permitting process, which can be so extensive. Um, and our own the Bolinas Y project, which I think is ten years in the making. Um, and I'm thinking about the timeline, forget that S SB 272 puts in place with having those plans in place by uh, 2034, which to me seems way too far off, given how long it can take to implement a project, though I would think a 10-year timeline for a project is a thing of the past, hopefully going forward. Um, but I am concerned about, um, about time and how quickly we do things both on the planning end and the permitting end and the execution end. So I think I'm glad that uh, um, to hear that um, there's this integrate, integrated team sort of looking at how we're gonna work on stuff. Um, I think it was a really important um, Ariel, because I don't know that we've really talked about this RFP in um, at a county board meeting. So I think it's really important for our larger county community to know that um, we are working on this, and it's not just the county. This is uh, coming out of the county administrator's office, but um, it is actually we use our Bay Wave, um, Bay Wave committee. Committee, committee, which is comprised of um, public works directors and staff and uh, electeds from um, around the county. So I do, um, for, for those residents that are paying attention um, or or having questions about where the county's going. Um, I think it's something we need to start talking about more, and, and this is actually, I think, the first really public conversation we've had in a while about um, where we're at and the challenges ahead. One last question, that was not really a question, but one last question. Can you define placeholder projects again? Yes, so placeholder projects, um, we worked with MTC ABAG to do our best to identify via desktop research and multiple meetings with staff from around the region, um, projects that are already in the planning, in, in some phase of planning, for areas that will be flooded by 2050 but do not have a project planned yet. Um, we relied on the Adaptation Atlas to tell us what types of projects would be suitable in those locations and then um, came up with project types and then used a standard um, measure of cost for different project types and uh, simply multiplied that by the size of the placeholder project. So it's not a suggested project or a recommended project or it has any you know permitting advantage or anything like that. It's simply um, a, a potential hypothetical project that we identified based on suitability for costing purposes only. And identified because there is um, for as much as we know now, an identified need to have a project, some sort of adaptation. Yes, it's measure. along only vulnerable portions of the shoreline. Okay, and then lastly, what is the website again where folks can go to actually look at the mapping and um, the tools that BCDC has put? Two websites um, is 
the first one is the adaptingtorisingtides.org, and that's where we um, have published the funding and investment framework findings. There is a report, there's an online interactive map, and there's a downloadable spreadsheet of our projects. And then our other major website is bayadapt.org, and that's where you can find, for example, the Bayadapt Joint Platform and where you can find um, events like our public workshop that's happening this Thursday, and the registration link is there. Bayadapt.org. Got it. Thank you. We will go to public comment on this item. Yes, Jack in the, in the chambers and then online. My name is Jack Crystal and welcome to Marine County, Dana. I happen to own 150,000 square feet of ground and 10 blocks of water blocks, uh, which is 450,000 square feet approximately. And I'm happy to become the party that can create a collaborative method to move this along and come up with answers in a location that's called Manzanita, near Tam Valley, north of Salcelito, and next to a large office building that was approved by BCDC many years ago, which is on the water, and a houseboat community, which is located now, approved and expanded by BCDC. So um, the SB 272 appears to be the vehicle that may bring now constructively, expeditiously, and bring results and make it a model of what other places may use and implement because we're not going to change sea level rise. What we can do is apply what we have learned, not only locally, but elsewhere in the world, and make it happen for a change rather than stalling. Um, so call on me, and uh, let's make things take place. Thank you. Is there anyone else in the chambers? Yeah. Good morning, supervisors. Um, I have three questions in terms of your presentation, and I thought it was very well done. I downloaded the presentation ahead of time. One is the, um, the data sets that you're using. Um, what is the depth of those? What is the currency? In other words, the freshness of those versus, like you, you mentioned, CSMART. That's not very current. That's very old and not as adaptive. And I want to draw your attention to the Natural Climate Change publication of June 2021 in which there was a federal study done um, which talked about the effects of lunar wobble it's the, um, the mid-Pacific declination change in the moon's orbital status. And that study is very key because that adds on to the top of whatever other data sets you have. And I brought that up before the supervisors before. 
The other issue is the issue, a couple issues. One is, could you explain the inconsistent application of science in your one slide? That would be the arising base slide. And the last one has to do with a very current term that we're all using every day in the press, at hearings, in planning, and that's the issue of taking. And what, how is your department, I know how the Coast Commission is acting, but how is your department addressing the issue of particularly private property of saying, well, you can't do this, you can't tell me to do this, this is a taking. So I'd appreciate that, thank you. Other speakers in the chambers? If sea level rise is a function of climate change in part, um, then I think we should probably ask why we as Democrats are allowing our president um, instead of addressing really serious issues like climate change and sea level rise, why we are instead uh, giving $100 billion in so-called aid to Ukraine and Israel primarily for more weaponry and more killing and more shelling of civilians. Uh, the civilian death toll right now in Gaza is over 5,000. Uh, if I understand the numbers correctly, uh, currently it's over 2,200 children have been killed in the bombings, which are obviously uh, not the, the, um, the surgical bombings that they're, they're claiming. And anyone who has seen the pictures, um, which, are, which are not um, shared widely on CNN, but it's, it's not a humanitarian crisis, it's a genocide. It's a genocide of the Palestinian people with our tax dollars. So how does it work that we're so concerned about sea level rise and we claim to be so concerned about the environment, but these bombs that we're making here in this country that Joe Biden says, oh, it's great, we have these bombs that we're building and we're making jobs by making, making these weapons. What is the environmental impact on that? I mean, these kids, whatever kids survive this bombing that, that we could stop right now, they're gonna, be, they're gonna be breathing in all that toxic dust. We sent depleted uranium to Ukraine. What are we doing? I mean, this just seems, you know, absurd on its face if we're not, if we're not addressing this in a more holistic manner. We need a ceasefire now. Okay, I'm not seeing any speakers uh, further in the chamber, so we'll go online. We have two speakers. The first speaker is Clayton Smith. Please come here. This jargon-filled presentation is just more self-serving fear propaganda based on an imaginary future catastrophe for which there's no empirical evidence. The metrics suggested are at the extremes of the speculative continuum, and they are almost entirely contradicted by the most cursory everyday experience. I've had an office at Manzanita Junction for over 40 years, literally at sea level. There has been no noticeable rise in sea level during these 40 past years. In fact, the worst inundation of the junction occurred 40 years ago during the storms of the early 1980s. If sea level rise was in fact a real thing, it would be priced into all the development along the bayfront 
that is now being built, and most particularly in the cost of credit insurance on all those projects. Again, those who are well-informed with actual skin in the game are, at, are unconcerned. Asking the taxpayers to cough up hundreds of billions of dollars uh, to pursue this quixotic mem testifies to the corruption and wastefulness of those who are currently in charge of our government. We have many more pressing needs than this phantom menace called sea level rise. After all, we're on the edge of World War III. So in my opinion, looking at this once again, it just looks like another sanctimonious spending scam. And I wish we would find the courage and the intelligence to get over it. Thank you. The next speaker is Patrick McNichol. Yes, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that we have a comprehensive plan for this, uh, to address this throughout the day. One thing I noticed that uh, I like accuracy and um, the amount of sea level rise that BCDC presented was 10 plus feet by 2100. Uh, I'd like to point out that this is eight feet more, which is five times higher than what the current trend is, which is 0.14 inches per year. And this is uh, data according to NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And three feet more, that's 40% more than the worst predictions by NOAA. And also that the current sea level rise of eight inches, that's data going back to 1880 the past 140 years. Um, but uh, I think in general, I think the, uh, to have a comprehensive plan for the whole bay is good. I just question how, how much we have to plan as far as how high the, the sea is actually gonna rise in the next 100 or 200 years. Thank you, that's all. President Mo Peters, there are no additional speakers in the chair. Okay, we'll bring it back to wrap it up. Dana, any last words or Ariel? You don't have to. Okay. But I'm going to give the last word. You have one too? No, just if you could respond to the comment regarding the 10 feet of sea level rise by 2100 that you referenced. And I believe that's with storm surge, but just towards sort of addressing that. Yeah, that's actually um, uh, from the Ocean Protection Council's f uh, prior extreme uh, sea level rise scenario. Um, those Ocean Protection Council guidelines are being updated as of this year, so um, we'll update that 10-foot um, projection when we have new numbers. But it's, it's a very extreme sea level rise scenario. Dana, I want to thank you for coming, and Ariel, thank you for organizing this. I, I serve as Marin County's rep to BCDC, and so I'm looking forward to working with Dana on the conversations about how do we organize ourselves for local region and regional planning. Uh, I want to note that uh, a number of us are working on the nexus between sea level rise and transportation planning already. The Highway 37 project is a perfect early example of weaving environmental, sea level, and transportation uh, needs all together. And then uh, for those listening, there will be a second pilot project in Southern Marin that Caltrans has on its list to develop a long-term 
sea level rise project for Highway 101 from Marin City through Tam Valley. So that has not kicked off yet, but it's on their list of things to do, so that's a good start. Um, so anyway, I look forward to working with you and representing our community in these talks. Thank you again. Item now is, uh, I'm sorry, Mary? I was just gonna make a quick comment of just, I really appreciate like the big Highway 37 project and how complicated that is. And then also kind of talking about another one on this, on our list is the McGinnis Marsh restoration with CSA 6 dredge spoils, which pales in size in comparison and technical issues. Um, and so, you know, I think we need to call out in all of the work that there is an incongruence between the vision and the policy and the implementation so that we kind of put that at the front of like how do we how do we get through that so we don't have a great you know document that's a wonderful policy and vision that we then you know struggle to implement and i recognize it's not a bcdc issue alone it really is so many other regulatory agencies but i think it's important that we kind of front load all conversations by acknowledging that hurdle. So thanks so much for your presentation today. All righty, we'll move on to the next agenda item number seven. And this is a request from the county administrator's office to execute a community service agreement in the amount of $622,000 with the Bolinas Community Land Trust. Well, good morning, supervisors, and I'll provide a high-level overview, but I do have a community development agency and county council available for any more specific questions you may have. So what's before you today is a one-time funding request for $622,000 to support Bolinas Community Land Trust to address substandard living conditions for approximately 60 people currently residing in unpermitted spaces on a privately owned property known as Teixeira Ranch. The Community Development Agency has determined that the living spaces on the ranch are unfit for habitation, uh, a condition that will be heightened with the onset of the wet weather season. Uh, the the camp, campground provides an opportunity for residents to move out of 160 Mesa on a temporary basis without displacement from their community. Um, as our staff report points out, um, county funds would be used to partially offset $2.6 million total cost uh, for this project. And uh, our hope is that it will be matched equally from the Marin Community Foundation and there's currently a grant pending. And we've had ongoing discussions with the foundation and are hopeful that that will take place shortly. Um, as far as the fiscal impact, these funds are one-time in nature, and so they will come from your one-time capital project reserve, uh, which currently has a balance of $7.8 million. With this um, withdrawal, it would be a balance of $7.2 million. And so with that high-level overview, we're happy to answer any specific questions you would have. And Thank you, Matthew. Are there any questions on the part of the board? I'm not seeing it on my left or my right. So we will go to public comment on this now. Is there anyone in the chambers who'd like to speak on this? Okay, good. We have a group coming up. Welcome. 
name is Annie O'Connor and I am the executive director of the Bolinas Community Land Trust. And we are here today with various representatives of our organization and community to address all of you. And I think first I'd like to start by saying on behalf of the BCLT, we'd like to ask uh, that you please accept our deep appreciation for the myriad decisions and acts that have come to support the staff and administrators serving the County of Marin um, that have allowed us to create this emergency RV park in particular, or campground. In particular, um, it's important I think to highlight that this project seeks to allow the BCLT to address substandard living conditions for approximately 60 people who currently reside in an unpermitted spaces uh, at a privately owned property known as the Teixeira Ranch at 160 Mesa Road in Bolinas. And as you know, the Community Development Agency has determined the living spaces are unfit for habitation. And, and that's a condition that will be only heightened with the an upcoming onset of wet weather. So we commend the leadership of Supervisor Radoni. We are grateful for his aide, Fernando Borrero, and for the, their help to bring together several public agencies to listen, learn, act, to meet the emergency needs surfaced by our staff and partners on this project, the residents of the ranch. We also wanna thank Sarah Jones for her compassionate and courageous leadership and expert manage management skills uh, to help us come this far. Today, we will officially open the emergency RV campground to the residents of the Teixeira Ranch. And as we celebrate this uh, momentous milestone and the Herculean efforts uh, brought to bear, we're challenged by the knowledge that we have a funding gap. A few of our uh, plans uh, for the funding have fallen through recently, and we know that this decision that's before the Board of Supervisors today is vital. And we hope that you will recognize it's not only a lifeline for our community, uh, but for the residents as well. If this campground option is, is not realized, we will see um, vital members of our community displaced, our school will suffer, the local economy will suffer. This is important for all of us. So we implore you to please approve, and I would ask that you also grant um, some of the members of the Teixeira Ranch who are bravely, courageously here to address you themselves. I ask that you just give them a little bit of space with the two-minute timeline and allow for them to take their two minutes to address you in Spanish, and then there's a member of our staff that will give the same comments in English. Thank you. Hi. I'm... Uh, my name is Jeff Clapp. I'm the, on the board of the Bolinas Community Land Trust. I'm the treasurer. And I will first wanted to thank you for your continued support of our organization. And I want to also thank you for your support of this specific project. This project has very broad community support. And that statement is evidenced by the letters that you've received, the signatures that you've seen. There was a meeting in May that decided the water entitlement at the public utility. There was overwhelming support for the project. I've been involved in the BCLT for many years, and this project, from my perspective, has the most broad support from the community that can sometimes be a little divisive. Um, the last year has been extremely stressful for everyone on the ranch. We collectively have 
the ability to change that dynamic. It's also been very challenging for our organization. Our staff has done an amazing job, led by Annie O'Connor. And they have worked almost nonstop to get this emergency campground operational. It has also been an enormous financial drain on our organization, but we never hesitated at any point to do it. The funds that you hopefully support today are critical for this project. They will also go a long way to ensuring that the Bolinas Community Land Trust continues to be an effective partner in our joint goal of providing permanently affordable housing for Marin County. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome. Hola, buenos días. Querida Junta de Supervisores, mi nombre es Azucena y me dirijo a ustedes con el fin de compartir una situación que mi familia y todos mis vecinos hemos estado enfrentando en el Rancho Tacheras durante los últimos ocho años. La traila en la que vivimos es muy vieja y lamentablemente hemos tenido que lidiar con problemas de higiene debido a la presencia de ratas de gran tamaño y moho. Esto ha generado una gran preocupación para mí y mi familia, especialmente por la seguridad de mis hijas, así que tuvimos que tomar medidas urgentes. Además, en algunas ocasiones tuvimos problemas con el suministro de agua caliente y contamos con agua potable. Yo utilizo garrafones de agua que relleno en la ciudad. También actualmente solo me funciona un quemador de la estufa que, solo, que tiene solo tres. En el año 2022 nos enfrentamos a otra situación difícil debido a las violaciones cometidas por el encargado desde octubre 20 de 1993. Por tal motivo, la propiedad fue declarada como etiqueta roja por el condado y como resultado hemos tenido que utilizar un baño portátil durante más de 10 meses. Esta situación es verdaderamente muy difícil para nosotros ya que creemos que merecemos vivir en condiciones más dignas y justas. Cabe mencionar que en mi lucha por mejorar las condiciones de vida de mi familia, me he visto obligada a alzar mi voz y solicitar que el baño portátil se limpiara dos veces por semana, ya que esta medida es necesaria, pues vivir en estas condiciones es muy incómodo y realmente inhumano. Estoy convencida de que todos merecemos una vida digna y estoy más que dispuesta a hacer todo lo posible para lograrlo. Necesitamos tener un lugar seguro y adecuado para vivir donde podamos brindar a nuestras hijas un entorno seguro, saludable y digno, poder vivir felices y tranquilos y que nadie más tenga que vivir esta triste situación. Además, es fundamental que se tomen medidas para garantizar que estas situaciones no se repitan en el futuro, ni aquí ni en ningún otro lugar, y, y que se respeten nuestros derechos como residentes. Es por eso que me dirijo a ustedes para expresar mi profundo agradecimiento al condado y al senador Maywire que está trabajando junto con todos nosotros. Ya sea por todo lo que se ha hecho por, todo, por todos nosotros hasta el día de hoy. Agradezco su apoyo en el proyecto que está llevando BCLT, quien es un, quien, quien es un gran apoyo para muchas familias, incluida mi familia, y tenemos la esperanza y fe de que este proyecto se haga realidad. Le pido con humildad que continúe apoyándonos en nuestro camino, 
Deseamos que su apoyo nos permita obtener todos los permisos y donaciones necesarias para las ARBIS de emergencia y casas permanentes en el futuro. Nuestra visión es grandiosa, pero se basa en un compromiso compartido con un futuro más próspero, sostenible y equitativo para nuestra comunidad. Agradezco de corazón su atención y dedicación a este problema y gracias por la oportunidad de alzar mi voz. Thank you. Hi, my name is Jasmine. I'm going to be translating what Azucena just said. Dear Board of Supervisors, my name is Azucena and I am writing to you in order to share a situation that we have been facing at the Techera Ranch for the last eight years, my family and all my neighbors. The trailer we live in is very old and unfortunately we have had to deal with hygiene problems because of the presence of large rats and mold. In addition, on some occasions we had problems with the hot water supply and we do not have drinking water. We use water bottles that I have to drive over two hours to refill in the city. Also, currently only one of three burners of the stove is working. In the year 2022, we are faced another difficult situation due to violations committed by the landlord since October 20th, 1993. For these reasons, the property was declared as red tagged by the county. And as a result, we've, we have had to use a portable toilet for more than 10 months. This situation is truly very difficult for us as we believe we deserve to live in a more dignified and fair condition. It is worth mentioning that in my struggle to improve my family's living conditions, I have been forced to use my voice and demand that the portable toilet that we use be cleaned twice a week as this measure is necessary since living in this condition is very uncomfortable and truly inhumane. I am convinced that we all deserve a dignified life and I am more than willing to do everything possible to achieve this. We need to have a safe and adequate place to live where we can provide our daughters with a safe, healthy and dignified environment and be able to live happily and peacefully and that no one else has to live this sad situation. It is also essential that measures are taken to ensure that such situations are not repeated in the future, neither here nor anywhere else, and that our rights as residents are respected. That is why I am writing to you to express my deep appreciation for all that has already been done to this day. I appreciate the county's support as well as Senator McGuire's in this project that BCOT is carrying, who is a great support for my families, including my family, and we have hope and faith that this project will become a reality. I humbly ask you to continue to support us in our journey. We wish that your support will allow us to obtain all the necessary permits and donations for emergency RVs and permanent homes in the future. Our vision is grand, but it is based on a shared commitment to a more prosperous, sustainable, and equitable future for our community. I appreciate your attention and dedication to this issue. Thank you. Hola, buenos días a todos. Mi nombre es Ingrid Janet López. Tengo 33 años y vivo en Bolinas, mi primer hogar al llegar a Estados Unidos. Somos parte esencial del tejido de esta comunidad. Bolinas también es nuestro hogar. Debemos aferrarnos a nuestra esperanza que podemos mejorar nuestra situación en la cual tanto la familia Tachera como nosotros nos hemos visto atrapados. Jim y Susan Tachera nos dio un lugar donde vivir cuando nadie más lo hizo, pero esta situación no es buena para nadie de nosotros. Muchos de nosotros vivimos en, en condiciones mucho peores que las que dejamos anteriormente. No es normal vivir de esta manera. No estamos acostumbrados a ello. Como algunos han dicho, hiere nuestra dignidad. 
Nos mantenemos viviendo en condiciones que nadie debería de vivir. ¿Por qué Bolinas es el único hogar o el único otro hogar que muchos de nosotros han conocido? Hay una pésima falta de vivienda accesible aquí en los condados de Bolina, West Marine y, y Marín. Esto significa que no tenemos muchas opciones para mudarnos a un lugar mejor. Lo único que queremos es mantener a nuestras familias unidas, trabajar duro y tener salud. No queremos quitarles nada a ustedes. No deben tener miedo de nosotros. Si ustedes no sabían dónde vivíamos anteriormente o que viviéramos tantos en el rancho Tachera, es tan difícil, en tan difícil condiciones es porque somos gente fuerte y resistente. Nuestras dificultades les han sido desconocidas a plena vista por dos décadas. Pudiéramos hacer creer que todo está bien, pero no es así. Nuestro temor de perder lo poco que tenemos nos ha impedido manifestarnos, pero debemos hacerlo porque ahora tenemos la esperanza de un futuro mejor por el que vale la pena arriesgarse. A los que se oponen al proyecto de vehículos recreativos de emergencia, lo que les pedimos ahora que saben más sobre nosotros es esto. Por favor, explique por qué está comprometido a continuar nuestra pesadilla, provocándonos un miedo continuo. Debemos saber que cada acción legal contra BCLT, cada apelación que hagas o amenaces, nos perjudica el proyecto BCLT. Somos nosotros. Por favor, no siga utilizando su privilegio, su tiempo extra, su dinero y su mejor educación para luchar y negarnos la esperanza de un futuro mejor para nuestros hijos, niños que son ciudadanos estadounidenses y que están creciendo para amar y cuidar a esta comunidad tanto como usted, tanto como nosotros, a la Junta de Supervisores. Lo que le pedimos ahora, que sabe más sobre nosotros, es que lo siguiente, apruebe los fondos de BCLT que necesita para este parque de emergencia, para vehículos recreativos, para que podamos pasar este invierno en condiciones saludables y seguras. Necesitamos un alivio inmediato de moho, las ratas que nos muerden por la noche, la lluvia que ya comenzó a filtrarse a través de nuestros techos. Nuevamente, este fin de semana, el frío, la indignidad y los riesgos de usar baños portátiles. También queremos que Rancho Tachera se venda al bici al team, para que podamos ser parte de la recreación de una buena solución que beneficie a toda nuestra comunidad. Agradecemos respetuosamente su continuo apoyo para lograr. Thank you so much. You. Hello, my name is Federico. I work for the BCLT and I'm going to be translating. If you hear about for, for English, if you hear about 60 people living, living at the Tachera Ranch, that is just the number, but there are real people behind it. We are mostly Latinos and Latinas. Not all of us speak English, so we do not read the local papers, and we don't yet feel like we belong in meetings like this one, but still we are here because this is our message for you. We have lived in Bolinas and the Tachera Ranch for 20 or 16 or 18 years. We are your neighbors. Our children were born here, go to school here, we work here, and somehow now have had children of their own here. We have large extended networks of family in here that would be broken up if we would have to move out of town. You already know us. We are the parents of your children's friends, the people you rely on to take care of your garden, clean your house, do construction, grow your food, take care of the farm animals you like to have nearby, cook the food you enjoy, and serve you in our, lo in our local restaurants. Our cultural traditions are rich and have brought peace and joy to many of your lives. We are hardworking. 
people who contribute our labor, intelligence, love, and creativity every day to keeping this community going. We are part of the essential fiber of this community, and Bolinas is our home, too. We need to hold on to our hope that we can improve the situation that we and the Teixeira family have become trapped in. Jim and Susan Teixeira gave us a place to live when nobody else would, but now it is no longer a good situation for any of us. Many of us now live in conditions that are worse than the homes we left, and it is not normal for us to live this way. We are not accustomed to it, as some people have said, and this hurts our dignity. We stay living in conditions that nobody should have to live in because Bolinas is the only home or only other home most of us have ever known. There is a bad shortage of affordable housing here in Bolinas, West Marin, and Marin County as a whole. That means we don't have many options to move somewhere better. We just want to keep our families together, work hard, and be healthy. We do not want to take anything from you, and there is no need for you to be afraid of us. If you do not know where we lived before, or that so many of us lived on the Teixeira Ranch in very difficult conditions, it is because we are very strong and resilient people. Our hardships have been hiding in plain sight for over two decades. We may make it look like everything okay is it, we may make it look like everything is okay, but it isn't. Our fear of losing what little we have has also kept us from speaking up and demanding our rights as tenants. But now we have to because now we have hope for a better future and that is worth taking a risk for. To the opponents of the emergency RV project, what we ask from you now that you know more about us is this. Please explain why you're committed to continuing our nightmare by provoking continued fear in us. You must know that every legal action against the BCLT, every appeal you make threatens and harms us. The BCLT project is us, so please do not continue to use your privilege, your extra time, your money, and your education to fight to deny us the hope of a better future for our children, children who are American citizens and who are growing up to love and care for this community as much as you do, as much as we do. To the Board of Supervisors, what we ask from you, now that you know more about us, is this. Please approve the funding that BCLT needs for this emergency RV park so we can spend this winter in healthy and safe conditions. We need immediate relief from the mold, the rats that bite our children in the night, the, the rain that had already begun leaking through our roofs again this weekend, the cold and the indignity and risk of using portable toilets. We also want that the share ranch to be sold for the BCL to the BCLT so that we can be part of creating a good solution that benefits our entire community. We respectfully welcome your continued support to do that. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Next commenter. Raleigh Katzmann Association of Public Employees. <coughs> Excuse me. After hearing all this, I certainly urge the board to adopt the uh, proposal, and I think it's very important to recognize the people who just spoke uh, for their courage to come down and speak particularly those who um, spoke in their native language and needed someone to uh, translate for them and, and their description of their conditions cries out for action. Thank you. Okay, if there's no other speakers in the chambers, we'll go online. Are there any speakers online? President Malton-Peters, there are no speakers in the chamber. All right, we'll bring this back to the board. Supervisor Adelman. Yeah. Thanks to all the speakers and commenters this morning. I'm not going to add much. Uh, you really have said it all. You know, this has been a really complicated process and issue. And thanks to the county for moving quickly when it was really important. 
Um, I want to thank the BCLT, thank the residents of the T Ranch, the county and its partners, especially um, CDA and county council and the CAO's office for really making this happen. So I'm pleased to move this item at this point. A motion, is there a second? I'd be happy to make a second if, with a comment, please. Um, a los residencias del um, ranchero, gracias por viene hoy y hablar con nosotros. Bienvenidos uh, aquí. Gracias. Y espero que este es la comencio del futuro mejor por ustedes y por sus familias. Gracias. Comment. Okay, we have a motion by Rodoni, a second by Sackett. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, that passes. Thank you all for coming today. Muchas gracias. Move now to item number eight. This is a request from the Department of Public Works to uh, establish stop control on South Woodland Avenue and Auburn Street in San Rafael. Good morning, President Moulton Peters and members of the board. Um, this is an item to add additional stop control at Woodland Avenue and Auburn Street, the eastern intersection. Um, Auburn actually loops around. Uh, this came up to staff's attention by request of several neighbors in the area about uh, large volumes of traffic and speeding concerns. Uh, this Woodland Avenue does provide access to a considerable portion of a San Rafael industrial area um, and the only access to Anderson Drive from that end. So. Um, after having some community meetings and engaging a consultant to look at some design options, unfortunately a roundabout would not fit there, so uh, the alternative solution was to provide some additional stop control and uh, some traffic calming measures, and so before he was a resolution to uh, establish that additional stop control, so it would be a three-way stop or always stop for that intersection where it's only a two-way now. I'd be happy to answer any questions. I don't have a question, but I have a comment because I go through there often. That is a very confusing intersection, so I'm <laughs> glad to see the improvements being proposed. Uh, is there any public comment on this item? I'm not seeing anyone in the chambers. Is there anyone online? All right. So I would be happy to move this item. Dan, thank you to you and your team for doing this work. Yeah, this is a long time coming. It's a very confusing little intersection that at time gets really crazy. Uh, and also just for, for working so well with the neighbors there in the community. So thank you very much. Glad to see this here. Second. Okay. We have a motion by Rice, a second by Lucan. All in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you. That passes. We're moving now to commission appointments. Uh, our first appointment is for In-Home Supported Services Governing Board. Is there a recommendation for the positions? I would move making um, the two appointments for those who have, who have submitted their applications and thank them for that, for their willingness to participate and then also continue the recruitment for the remaining vacancies. Second. Okay, we have a motion and a second. Is there any public comment on this item? I'm not seeing 
Any in the chambers? Is there any online? There are no speakers in the queue. Okay, a motion by Rice to second by Lucan uh, to uh, move the two applications that were received. All in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you. That carries. And we'll continue recruitment for the remaining vacancies. Integrated pest management. We have one resignation and one application was received. Is there a nomination? Yeah, I'll move appointment of Robert uh, to the uh, IPM Commission uh, and thank Nanette for her service. Second. Okay, we have a motion by Luke and a second by Rice. Is there any public comment on this item? Not seeing anyone in the chambers, anyone online? I'll say one, Peters, there are no speakers in the chamber. Okay, kit. all in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. That's another appointment. And then uh, Measure A, Community Oversight Committee. We have two vacancies due to term ac uh, expirations. Is there a nomination? I'd like to thank the six applicants and move that we nominate, or I would nominate, Thomas Lamar as the Egg representative and Andrew Ward as the at-large representative. Second. Okay, we have a motion by Rodoni, a second by Sackett. Is there any public comment? Not seeing anyone in the chambers, anyone online? Okay, all in favor? Oh, I just had a procedural yes. question. So is this one where we'd, uh, we could also schedule interviews, but we're, uh, the motion is just move forward with the direct appointments? It, it was. Yeah, that's my motion, yeah. Okay. It was. Um, I'd, I'd actually be in favor of doing some uh, interviews on these. Okay. Uh, would Sorry to throw a curveball. Baker of the motion entertain a changed motion, an amended motion. Um, I would I would recommend we just interview them all then if you want to go to interviews. I can I make a substitute friendly motion. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I would move that we um, make the at large appointment of Andrew Ward. Andrew um, came before us and um, we've interviewed him before. And um, I think that he's a, I think we've, we all know him, think he's a perfect fit for this, or at least those were some of the comments that were made before. So I would suggest that we just make that at-large appointment and then select candidates for the ag appointment to interview. I would second Supervisor Rice's motion. Okay. Wait, does Dennis have to do something? Or <laughs> so I'll withdraw my motion if you would agree. Sure. Okay, so we have a substitute <laughs> motion by Rice with a second. So by that second. would be an appointment for an appointment of Andrew Ward, and we'll take up the interview part next. How about that? Okay, we have a second. Uh, all in favor of that? Aye. 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 Okay. So <coughs> we have appointed Andrew Ward for at large, and we will conduct interviews for the agriculture position in the future. And just to be clear, Alexander Bloom did not apply for the ag position, so. We've eliminated him from that interview process. All right. And Julia Vilich is both at large and mm -hmm. ag. So we'll, so we'll be interviewing Dominic Grassi, Thomas Lamar, Eric Lovejoy, and Julia Vilich. Very good. That takes us now to item D, the retirement board. Uh, and there is one vacancy due to term expiration. And Vasquez, and he has reapplied. I'd appreciate it if someone would move his reappointment on my behalf. I'll move the reappointment of Daniel Vasquez to the retirement board. Second. Thank you. 
We have a motion and a second. Is there any public comment? Not seeing any in the chambers. Is there any online? Thank you. All in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you. Daniel Vasquez is reappointed to the region in session at 1.30. So, um, so the 1.30 session has been continued, and so we will post online and in the chambers here to let people know that that item's been continued. Um, and then, of course, you have a 2.30 item, so we will be back in open session at 2.30, not 1.30. Okay, and then there is no closed session today as well. That's right. All right, thank you. Uh, we're adjourned for now. We'll reconvene at 2.30 this afternoon. Peters. Uh, good afternoon, Brian Washington, County Council's Office. Wanted to briefly uh, introduce this ordinance on behalf of the uh, subcommittee of Supervisors Rice and Moulton Peters. Earlier this year, upon the announcement of a forthcoming retirement of the uh, gentleman to my right, your board formed a subcommittee to review how other counties are, um, how counties across California are organizing their lead executive position and to consider Marin changing how it organize, organizes its lead executive position. After this review, the subcommittee recommends uh, the following structural and administrative changes, and these are listed in the uh, board letter. Um, to change the title of the position from county administrator to county executive, uh, the elected department heads will report to the county executive, but will continue to meet with the board of supervisors and individual supervisors for policy direction, dialogue, and project and program updates. The board will interview and confirm the appointment of non-elected department heads. The county executive will um, get an appropriate number of finalists to recommend to the board of supervisors. The board uh, delegates to the, county admin, uh, to the county executive, my apologies, ongoing management oversight of all appointed department heads except for the county council's office. Uh, and the county executive will be responsible for coaching, mentoring, discipline, and potential dismissal of department heads. The county executive finally shall be responsible for evaluating the performance of non-elected department heads with input from the board of supervisors. Now, I'm sorry, I'm coming down with a little bit of a cold. I'm not getting emotional about this change. <laughs> As summarized in this letter, um, the proposed changes seek to better align the responsibilities of the county executive with accountability to the Board of Supervisors for results and largely formalizes the way the county, Marin County government has operated for the last 10 years. Uh, the proposed ordinance that we're providing for introduction today provides for the above described changes and provides for the new county executive name the ordinance does not supersede requirements of state law or other legal requirements regarding certain department heads, such as Department of Finance and Probation. 
finally, Human Resources is developing a job classification for the county executive position, and that will be presented to your board for approval uh, at its next meeting, November 7th. So uh, the recommendation today is to approve introduction of this ordinance and set it for adoption uh, for November 7th. And we can answer any questions. Uh, questions or comments from the board? I have a question, please. Yeah, Brian, <clears throat> I'm looking at your staff report on item two is specifically talks about non-elected, <clears throat> excuse me, but it doesn't mention elected, and I just wondered how will that be handled, including your department? And, and it may not need to be in this document, but um, just some clarity there. And then a follow-up to that is <clears throat> number four, will you refer to it as all appointed departments? Um, you don't use non-elected or elected there, and I want a clarification there. Thank you, Supervisor Rodoni. So, uh, yes, the, the ordinance uh, ex exempts the county council office, so the county council will continue to report directly to your board as it, as it currently does. Uh, elected officials will continue to report directly to the people uh, as, as they currently do. Okay. Uh, they'll work with the county executive in terms of interdepartmental coordination, much as they work with the county administrator now. Uh, but, you know, ultimately they, they report uh, directly to the people. And I think I lost track of your last question. The, um, uh, item four, you refer to it as all appointed departments. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Just to make sure you're talking about non-elected. We're talking about non-elected there, exactly. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, sure. So I'd be happy to take public comment on this item, and then I think the subcommittee wanted to make a few comments. So uh, I'm just looking to see. <coughs> Any at the moment. So. Of course, I have no computers. There are no speakers in the queue. Okay, thanks for that confirmation. Let's bring it back. And Supervisor Rice, if you can lead off. Yeah, sure. Um, Thank you, Brian. Uh, so uh, this is so uh, Supervisor Moulton Peters and I, serving as the subcommittee, um, kind of went into this. Um, I mean, it, it had a it had a couple drivers. One with the turnover, with the um, departure, an imminent departure of our longstanding um, county administrator Matthew. Um, uh, and thinking about how our board operates today, and and also I think all of us have uh, experiences and have had conversations with um, colleague supervisors from other counties, and kind of um, you know see how different different boards operate and different counties operate, and um, I think have come to appreciate um, our county administrator experience in terms of how our board interacts with him and and um, I think as a 12 year plus supervisor my observation of how Matthew um, his relationship with department heads and with staff and with us and I think that it it see it was we looked at it as an opportunity to, to look at our current code around the county administrator and consider whether or not the code actually reflects how um, our county operates today 
And so we, it was exploratory, I think, at, at first, and, and we did interviews with um, several other county executives and administrators and had conversations with, with folks who are out in that world. And um, two things really stood out to me is, one, we have a really high-functioning county government here. Um, that doesn't mean that everything is done perfectly, but certainly in terms of the relationships between the county administrator and department heads, between the county administrator and us as board members, and then also as board members, our relationship with our department heads and key staff and with our community members. And um, it's healthy, there's a lot of dialogue, and um, I think in terms of Matthew's function, in terms of a county administrator's function, it really um, appears as if um, he, we, we have a lot of trust and confidence in Matthew, and that's important. And we also um, value our relationship with our department heads. But in looking at the um, ordinance itself and in thinking about the language, we really felt like being clear on the role of the county administrator in terms of his relationship with department heads and how uh, we all interact together. It was important to be clear about that and also to be explicit as we do our recruitment for a new uh, county administrator or executive. Because anybody coming into this job, I think, um, wants to have clarity in terms of what their roles, responsibilities, and our expectations of them are. So when we looked at the code and the language, um, and Brian sort of called out the changes, um, the changes are fairly minor, but they really reflect and articulate how um, our county government is operating right now and the relationship, and I think primary responsibilities of the, of the county administrator. And I don't think that anything that any of the language that changes that's changing here is going to change what our board expects in terms of our ability um, and desire to be in clear communication with department heads uh, and with community members uh, and with Matthew. But I think this does clarify and codify how we expect the next administrator um, to, or next county executive, uh, if we go forward with that, to be operating in this context. Um, it was a really important exercise, I think, for us to go through. Um, and I'm glad that we did, and I think that um, doing this um, will help us recruit uh, high-quality candidates and have clear expectations and, I think, underscore our desire to continue to have strong relationships with our department heads. Um, we did, and I'll just make one more note, and I'm probably talking too much, but we've got the whole afternoon. Um, we did also have conversations with department heads. Um, I think there's um, some trepidation out there, um, maybe somewhat associated with this change, but I think more that we're all very comfortable with our current county administrator. You know, the, the devil you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Anyway, um, so I think that uh, it's, you know, eyes wide open. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, but, um, you know, this is a big deal. There's some change coming, and I think we wanted to make sure we were very clear on what was down in the code and what our expectations were for whoever uh, we choose to replace you, Matthew, in the coming months. So those are my comments.
more like a rust. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just want to add, uh, you know, from a public policy and service delivery standpoint, uh, we all know that these are very challenging times, and the issues that we face on this board are complex, they're multifaceted, and they're often fast-changing and require a multi-departmental uh, solution. And we have that as a, as a culture here in the county to work uh, together across department lines. I think this organizational structure um, promotes that and affirms that and will continue that. We also have a culture that is very inclusive and collaborative, and I think I don't see that changing at all. I know the board is very much that way, and we want to uh, continue that with all of the staff and department heads. So uh, I certainly feel that uh, the relationships with the, the directors and all the staff will not change with this board, and that really uh, there's some minor changes that just sharpen uh, the focus a little bit going forward. So that's what I would add, and I would welcome any uh, comments from other supervisors uh, before we go to approve the ordinance. Uh, sure. I just want to briefly thank the subcommittee for the work that you did on all this. I know the, the research, the talking to other counties, um, figuring out other structures that are out there, I think you really landed on a, a really strong recommendation. Uh, as the, the new person at the table here, I know uh, coming in and having operated under kind of the, the city-town environment to the county, there were some, some changes, some learning curves, but I, I think, you know, just 10 months in that this is very much warranted. Um, I don't think that it's a very significant change, but it, it is a change. I think a lot of it reflects what we organically have been doing uh, with a county administrator who's been here for uh, as long as he has and has the respect that he has throughout the organization. And I think for the department heads that are you know, tr tracking this or have been a part of this process, you know, I think our commitment, my commitment as a supervisor is that those, those open doors of communication are nothing really changes there at all. Uh, that's uh, really uh, important for all of us in the work that we do, uh, just given the size and the operation and the scale of, of county government, um, it's important that that continues uh, as is, uh, and especially uh, probably even more so in this next year or two as we are gonna be having a very significant uh, transition that's uh, gonna be new to us here at the county. Um, so I think it's probably even an opportunity to, to double down on some of those check-ins uh, with department heads uh, during this transitionary uh, period and really want to thank uh, Matthew for all of all of his work. This is probably a change that we probably should have codified a, a little while ago, um, but I'm glad we're doing it. And, uh, you know, thank you for uh, test driving this for uh, uh, several months um, uh, before we um, hire the next the next individual for the seat. So thank you. Thank you, subcommittee. Eric. I think I also want to give my appreciation to the subcommittee, and I think, and um, to Matthew, thank you for trying this. Um, you know, there was, I th guess I had a question of whether it made sense to make a transition when you leave, but I think it really does make sense to let you kick it off on the right um, tone and foot, and so I um, appreciate all the work that people put into getting this right. And I'd like to thank the subcommittee, too, for the work they did. <clears throat> I think it is important to memorialize what we are doing and what we want to do so it's very clear to the new person coming. And I think uh, the timing is perfect to allow Matthew to work under this plan for the next few months. And it makes it clear to the HR department where we're going with the new recruitment. So uh, congratulations on a, and a good shift. Again, I don't think it's major changes to the way we've been practicing. 
but at least getting it memorialized in somewhere so that uh, we all work under the same plan going forward is important. So thank you. Right. So the, uh, the, what we are doing today is we will approve the introduction of an ordinance uh, today and then we'll bring it back on consent uh, in November for adoption. So if I could have a motion and a second to introduce the ordinance. I'll move introduction of the ordinance replacing the county office of county, the office of county administrator with the office of the county executive and direct the clerk of the board to place the ordinance on the November 7th, 2023 consent calendar for adoption. Second. Okay, we have a motion rise to second Lucan. All in favor? Aye. Aye. That passes unanimously. Thank you. Thank you very much, everyone. And with that, we are adjourned for the day. We'll be back on November 7th. <laughs>